If you could just open your Bibles to chapter uh, Acts, Acts chapter 12, we're going to carry on with our uh, Acts reenacted. You'll notice that stuff coming through the, the window today is sunshine. <laughs> Haven't seen it for a few months. Oh, it's been a bitter winter, isn't it? So I want to speak to this morning about uh, Herod's persecution. We're going to follow through chapter 12, so it's, it's kind of like two chapters of the one chapter. Yeah, really. So it's Herod's persecution of the Christ people, as we heard last week. They were named Christ people or Christians for the first time. And if, when you say the name Herod, just hold your finger in chapter 12, we're going to get to that in a sec. But when you say the name King Herod, you're, um, you've got to be careful of which one you're talking about because there are actually four generations of Herods in the Bible. And when, um, when, when I hear the name Herod, the, probably the first one I go to is the one um, that was around when Jesus was born, the Herod the Great. There he is there. Apparently that's what he looked like. Don't make fun of his plaits or his ponytail. He doesn't take criticism too well, this guy. Out of This is Herod the Great. This is um, not named for his character. He's named for all the things he built, like amphitheatres and aqueducts. and He figured out some early plumbing and that sort of thing. Fortresses. Now originally, this guy wasn't even a Jew. He was from a region of Idumea, down the bottom of Judea. His father wasn't a Jew. He was from Edom. But he was put in charge by the Romans just to cover the area of Palestine. As I said, he doesn't take criticism too well. All those these projects that people called him great for distracts from the, the fact that he murdered most of his ten wives, killed three of his sons, killed his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law and his father-in-law. And not to mention all the babies in Bethlehem when he was coming after Jesus as a baby. That's Herod the Great. He wasn't even a, a proper king. Like you imagine the ancient kings of Israel, they had control over everything that, you know, where they were. That this, is, this guy was more of a puppet guy, puppet king of the Romans, just put in charge to, to do their bidding for Rome. And in the, the second generation of Herods, we get Palestine actually gets divided up about four different sections. Of the kids that actually survived their dad, they they separated into these different areas. And one of those uh, areas we had with Herod Philip. We have Philip Herod Philip II, and this guy looks like a very angry kind of man, apparently. Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, which sounds like something you'd find on the menu of Faster Pasta. <laughs> but this guy was the guy that beheaded John the Baptist. Not actually him, he's just the actor, don't pick on him. But he was the guy that um, was involved in the mock trial of Jesus. 
So it's in that generation where Herod Antipas was. And then the next guy comes along, the third Herod, kind of takes control of everything that his grandfather had originally, all the area that he had. Apparently he looks like more of an 80s breakdancer. <laughs> That's the only picture I could find. It looks like all the others were like marble busts and everything. Anyway. And then after him was the fourth Herod, which I don't have a, a picture of, but his rule was very diminished. Uh, and Rome sort of started to take control again. Uh, but the, our Herod in question today is was that last picture, Herod Agrippa I. So we're going to read about him now in chapter 12. Bibles. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It was about this time that King Herod, this is Agrippa I, arrested some of those belonging to the church. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, Put to, the, put to death with the sword. And when he saw this please the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter kept him in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod brings him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, to, appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter followed, out, uh, see, Peter followed the angel out of the prison. He had no idea what the, angel, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought it was, he was seeing a vision. They passed through the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city which opened by itself. Can you imagine this this miracle? And they went through it. When they had walked to the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of, of John, also called Mark. And many people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the doors, knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came up to, the, to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back to the, to the, uh, the opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, she said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. 
and they left, and then he left for another place. Obviously, in the morning there was no small commotion in this, about among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter, and Herod, after through made a thorough search for him, uh, did not find him. He cross-examined the, the guards, and they were executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they now joined together in order to have an audience with him having secured the support of Blastus, poor fella, having a name, Blastus, a trusted servant of the king that asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat in his throne and delivered a public address to the people. The people shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the the Lord continued to spread. So this was Herod Agrippa, Herod, Herod Agrippa I. And just like any good mafia family, straight out of the mould of granddad, wanting to be great, wanting to be important, wanting to uh, be very sort of political in the way he went about things, he would do things in order to please others, just like his granddad had, had named Caesarea to show off to the emperors. And the reason mainly that Herod, this Herod began a persecution of the church is because it pleased the Jews. And trying to please everyone, trying to be popular, he began arresting people. He put James to death. Always give the people what they want, right? One of my favourite TV shows is, uh, is an old 80s comedy called Yes Minister. You got that? I've got the box disc of the DVDs. It bores my kids senseless, but but I love it. And it's it's all about the um, the, the 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 character, the, the MP Jim Hacker. You seen the show? Great. Old old comedy never dies, is it? Jim Hacker, who starts his life as an MP. Uh, he becomes, he becomes this minister of the, the crown in England, always trying to be popular, always worried about the opinion polls, always worried about votes. And whenever he tries to say something important, he puts his hand on his heart like, and he's on his lapel like that, gazes into the sky and about to say something statesmanlike, you know. And he always, when he gets carried away, he could have drifts off into a, a Winston Churchill kind of accent. No, never. Right. And this particular time, one of his classic lines in the shows is he's talking about uh, trying, trying to win the popularity of the people, trying to, be, trying to get votes. And he's, he says, puts his hand on his heart and gazes up in the sky and he talks about the British people and says, they are my people. I am their leader, so I must follow them. (laughs) And all the other guys in the room go, 
<laughs> they are my people, I am their leader, so I must follow them. That was a bit like Herod. They are my people, I am their leader, so I must follow them if I want to be popular. And it was a popular thing to do at this time was to come after the Christians. And it was in this uh, political climate, if you like, that Peter gets arrested. And, you know, whenever I hear about accounts of, of people being arrested or tortured or put to death or brought to trial just, just because they're followers of Christ, the first thing I think of is how would I cope if I was in the same situation? Would I, would I panic or would I trust God to the end? It seems that through the ages it's the, it's the Christian that seems to get the sharp end of the stick, the sharpest end of the stick. More than any other religion, we seem to be hated. Jesus is correct when he said, they hated me and in the same way they'll hate you. It was two years ago today, or not today, but roughly two years ago, that we saw those pictures on TV about Libyan terrorists taking those Christians clothed in orange out to the beach on Libya and beheading them. 21 Christians. Two years ago now. Open Doors Movement have estimated that last year alone 7,000 Christians were killed just because of their faith, just because they believed what they believed. What do you do when a world hates you? In the last time I've, I've been preaching here, I think I've counted about, just a month ago, about five or six major terrorist attacks through, through Europe and through the US. What do you do when the world gets darker? And your faith, no matter how strong, doesn't seem to prevent the death, deaths of fellow Christians. And that's how Peter must have felt in, in chains, in prison. He must have felt we've prayed for all these other guys and they were still arrested. We prayed for James and he got the chop. And now it's my turn. He must have been convinced he was next. But we know God had other plans. And it says in the Bible, we, we read before, that the night before he was brought to trial, why does God always wait for the night before? Can't he do it a week before? Why does he wait till the 11th hour? I know in my life, the things I've prayed for it seemed, has, has come down to the wire before the answer of prayer comes. Peter bound in chains between two guards was sleeping. That should bring us courage right there. To be going through all that stuff and still have something in your inner self that gives you so much peace you can sleep through that. Tomorrow is D-Day for Peter and he was asleep. Something was giving him peace.
And like walking through a dream, an angel appears, tells him to get dressed, which means he must have been naked or close to it, stripped and chained. But the angel, actually the Bible says the angel struck him on the side. It's, it's a bit funny, isn't it? It's like a Monty Python sketch. Wake up. And he, and he wakes up, tells him to get dressed and, and it's, a, it's like a, a dream or a vision. He, he follows this, this angel outside and the, these gates open. And next thing you know, he's standing out in the street trying to wonder what's happened. Nothing short of a miracle, incredible miracle. The next thing you know, Peter is knocking on the door of his friend's house who are holding a prayer meeting for him. And this young girl that comes to the door gets so excited about it's Peter's voice on the other side, doesn't it? Forgets to even open the door and runs back and interrupts the prayer meeting. Nothing like kids to interrupt the prayer meeting, is there? Could it be that our prayers are actually answered? Could it be that we received our miracle? So what do we do when the world grows dark and everyone seems to hate the Christian? When it feels like we pray in vain because what we pray for doesn't seem to happen? My advice, I think, is exactly what these believers did, this group of believers in this house praying. They must have prayed for the others. They must have prayed for James too and it would have felt like that prayer wasn't answered. So what this group did is they just didn't stop. They didn't stop praying. They didn't stop believing. They didn't stop hoping for the impossible. They didn't stop meeting together. They didn't stop having house church. They didn't stop having church. They didn't stop encouraging one another. They didn't stop. And what do we do when a world looks as dark as it is? We, we don't stop. We don't stop relying on each other. We don't stop believing in this. This church didn't stop. Even though they probably, they may not even believe their own prayers because they were a bit surprised when he came to the door. They didn't know that tonight they were going to receive their miracle. When this world grows darker, now more than ever it's time to draw closer to the light. In, this, in these times when we see shootings in France, in Germany, even Australia, we need to draw closer to God than ever before. How do we deal with it? We draw closer to his church. We be the church more than ever before. We're going to need each other now more than ever before. The good news is that evil will not last forever. Wicked men have no future. This Herod we're talking about didn't last forever. Remember that the psalm in, in Psalm 91, uh, sorry, 92 verse 7 says, The wicked sprout like weeds. Excuse me. The wicked sprout like weeds and evildoers flourish. Yet they will be destroyed forever. 
And Herod's standing there thinking, make this, this public address. He actually made this address to these two groups of people that he was fighting with and he kind of broke it a piece with them, mainly because there was, there, a bit, there was a bit of a famine in the land and they needed his food and they needed his help. So he was standing there kind of all important. He'd made up with these people. And the, the, this group of people said, well, this, this guy sounds like a god. And Herod, thinking he was so important and believing his own publicity, well, maybe they're right. And God strikes him to the ground. The Bible says he actually he was struck down, eaten by worms, then died. You would almost think that's a misprint, don't you? Yeah, I would have thought it said he would have struck down dead, then he would have been put in the ground, and then worms would have eaten him. But it was actually not the way it happened. He was struck down, not dead. He died five days later. What had happened to Herod is actually mirrored by what his grandfather died, the way, same way he died. He, he got an infection, which in, in old history was called a rotting of the flesh. We would have called it gangrene or something. And then in that gangrene, worms, got it, or maggots, we would call it, got in there to eat that and then he died of that infection. This is a very similar death, horrible way to go. He was struck down, eaten by worms, then died. See, I don't look forward to persecution in my time. I think it, it, you know, it probably will come, but I don't look forward to it. Some Christians that like to predict this stuff almost sound like they're looking forward to it. But now more than ever, we need Jesus Christ. Now more than ever, we need to be the church that looks out for each other, that defends and encourages our faith. Now more than ever. What do you do when the world grows dark? You don't stop. You know, dairy farming isn't much fun at the moment. You've probably heard news everywhere, which is it's kind of good. Everyone who hears the, the the bad news of our plight, sort of thing. It's not persecution by any stretch, but it's tough. It's tough going. And I've got a church I belong to. I've got a house church that prays for me. I've got a group of believers that encourage me and. And walk with me through this stuff. What do you do when you don't have that? I think of plenty of other farmers that are, they're married to their job. Their life is their farm. What happens when you don't have that faith structure to rely on each other? Well, I can answer the question. They commit suicide. Or they fall into depression because their farm is their life. When we face trial of any kind, don't stop praying for things that are impossible. We need to know we're not alone in this. Don't stop believing God for that answer to prayer, even when it seems like he doesn't hear you. You may be like that group of believers that didn't realise that their miracle was just around the corner. 
Don't stop. In America, all houses have basements, have you noticed? We don't have that in Australia. In America, you have a whole room in a basement. And when the tornado comes and when the hurricane comes, everyone rushes to the basement where the foundations of the building is because that bit will hold. The house up the top might get blown away but the foundations will stay strong so that's where they run to. And when storms of any kind come to hit us as Christians, they hit our world and our world turns into a tornado or a or a mess like that. It's the, it's the foundations of the church, the foundations of Christ where we need to run to. The place that won't blow away. So don't stop. If you've been disappointed with, with unanswered prayer before, don't stop. Be like this group of believers who believe that they might just rescue, God might just rescue Peter. Don't stop. Let's pray.